Good evening. In the news tonight, COVID-19 infections are soaring across much of the country as Election Day approaches. Philadelphia will be under curfew tonight, four days after police shot and killed Walter Wallace Jr., a 27-year-old black man who is having a mental health crisis. And protesters take aim at New York City's largest police union. In New York, I'm John Tarleton, Editor-in-Chief of The Independent, and this is the WBAI Evening News for Monday, for Friday, October 30th, 2020. As the presidential election comes down to its final days, COVID-19 infection rates are soaring across much of the United States. There have been more than a half million confirmed new COVID cases in the past seven days, with new cases now running at more than 90,000 per day or more than one per second. The total number of confirmed COVID fatalities in the United States has now climbed over 229,000. Speaking at the Village's Retirement Community in Central Florida, President Donald Trump told supporters that the pandemic is mostly over thanks to his administration. Facing the prospect of being the first incumbent president to lose a re-election bid since George Bush Sr. in 1992, Trump plans to hold 14 campaign rallies in three days beginning Saturday. He trails former Vice President Joe Biden by an average of about 7 to 9 points in national polls. However, Trump is running several points closer to Biden in the swing states that will decide who wins the Electoral College and the presidency. Campaigning yesterday at a drive-in rally in Tampa, Florida, Biden denounced Trump for holding super-spreader events as he campaigns. President Trump's super-spreader events that he's spreading more virus around the country and here in Florida today. He's spreading division in addition, division in discord. We need a president who's going to bring us together, not pull us apart. I'll put in place a plan to deal with this pandemic responsibly. I've already done it. And bring this country together around testing, tracing, and masking. In more national news, early voting numbers continue to smash all previous records. More than 83 million people have already cast their ballots, with the nationwide total expected to reach as high as 100 million by the end of this, this weekend. In the swing state of Texas, more voters have already cast early ballots than voted in the entire 2016 election. Here in New York City, early voting continues through Sunday. Early voting hours tomorrow will run from 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. and 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. on Sunday. In Philadelphia, the family of Walter Wallace Jr. is still seeking answers after Monday's police shooting of Wallace, a 27-year-old black man who was having a mental health crisis. This is family lawyer Shaka Johnson. The thing to you is, what other than death did you intend when you shoot a man, each officer, seven times apiece? Well, Philadelphia Mayor Jim Kinney has announced he will impose a curfew tonight that runs from 9 p.m. to 6 a.m. tomorrow morning. It comes four days after the shooting of, Wal of Walter Wallace Jr. The killings sparked protests and riots on Philadelphia's west side on Monday and Tuesday nights, though only minor disturbances have occurred the last two nights. Kenny said he wants to see justice done for Wallace, but also insists further property dam damage is unacceptable. I know that our city is still hurting, 
Philadelphians are rightfully feeling frustrated and outraged following Monday's tragic incident. I thank those who have joined in our shared call for peace in Philadelphia as we seek justice. But I'm also very disturbed by the damage being done in our communities. The looting that has taken place in several neighborhoods of Philadelphia is distressing to say the least. The National Guard will be on hand in Philadelphia through the end of next week in case of post-election disturbances. Here in New York, Brooklyn District Attorney Eric Gonzalez today announced that following an investigation by his conviction review unit, he will move to vacate the murder conviction of Gerard Domond, who was incarcerated for 29 years before being paroled in 2016. The investigation unearthed documents that showed that the only eyewitness who testified pursuant to a cooperation agreement with prosecutors was held in a psychiatric ward before the trial. Because this information was never disclosed to the defense, the defendant was prejudiced unfairly. Also here in New York, about 70 protesters rallied Tuesday afternoon outside the Police Benevolent Association's headquarters in Lower Manhattan to denounce the union's role in shielding killer cops. This is Reverend Billy Talon of the Church of Stop Shopping speaking at that event. Nothing has cultivated the culture of murder in the name of law enforcement more than the Policeman's Benevolence Association. We'll hear more from one of the main organizers of that protest after this short break. There's already so much pain, so much pain, so much pain. There's already so much pain, and there ain't nothing else we can do. newspaper and website now now celebrating its 20th year of publishing. I'm John Tarleton, the Indies Editor-in-Chief, filling in this evening for Paul DiRienzo. You can find our latest coverage at independent.org, I-N-D-Y-P-E-N-D-E-N-T dot org. Before we move on to our first segment, I want to share a little bit of exciting news. The Independent has been hosting the Monday evening edition of the Evening News for about two years now. 
starting this next Tuesday, <clears throat> this next Tuesday on election day, we are moving to a new time slot, which will be Tuesdays from 5 to 6 p.m. And the show will be called the Independent News Hour. So we'll, we'll be able to have more guests, more news and views that our Monday evening listeners have come to enjoy since we started uh, broadcasting in 2018. So please come join us starting this next Tuesday at 5 p.m. on the Independent News Hour. Now moving along in our first segment, we look at a group of activists that is taking on one of the most intransigent and reactionary institutions in this city, which is the Police Benevolent Association, the largest of the five cop unions with about 24,000 members. On Tuesday, a group of about 70 protesters from the Church of Stop Shopping, New York City Democratic Socialists of America, the New York City Chapter of Veterans for Peace, and uh, Rise and Resist staged a colorful protest outside the PBA headquarters in Lower Manhattan, uh, which is located near the Staten Island uh, Ferry Terminal. Savitri D., director of the Church of Stop Shopping, was one of the main organizers of Tuesday's protest. Savitri, welcome to the WBAI Evening News. Thanks, John, and congratulations on 20 years of the independence. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, it's been a really exciting time uh, for us. Now, with um, your protest on Tuesday, first of all, can you kind of set the scene? It was a uh, unusually uh, colorful and uh, artistic uh, protest. You can talk a little bit about that and as well as why uh, everybody was out there. Sure. Our goal really is to connect the PBA, the Police Benevolent Association, to Donald Trump uh, forevermore so that if Trump's ship goes down, the PBA go down with him. And if his uh, ship continues to sail, then we continue to, uh, to press on them together. Um, the, the Police Benevolent Association endorsed Donald Trump for president about two months ago in New Jersey and then went on national television, Patrick Lynch himself, and said that Donald Trump had earned their endorsement. They had not endorsed a candidate for 36 years. So, uh, you know, they they showed themselves. I mean, we know the NYPD to be, uh, you know, implicitly and sometimes explicitly racist, of course. And, um, you know, in endorsing Donald Trump, they, they, they showed themselves as racist, as white supremacists. So uh, we wanted to call that out in a very specific way, in a very targeted way. And um, their headquarters happens to be downtown Manhattan, 125 Broad Street, um, and it is surrounded by privately owned public spaces. Uh, there's about an acre of public space around that building, um, including the, the park, the Vietnam Veterans uh, Plaza, which Donald Trump actually claims to have paid for in the 80s. Um, so we went down there. We had the, the baby Trump balloon, which is a 20-foot-tall helium balloon of, of Trump as a ugly baby. And uh, there was, a, I would say, about 100 of us there from various groups in New York City um, striking the PBA. You know, the police are not technically allowed to strike. Uh, that is not one of their rights as a union, but um, we were striking them as if we were them on some level. <laughs> it's kind of a performative strike, but um, I guess our, our, our real goal is just to, to, to point a big neon arrow and say, this is where the PBA is, you know, and if there's one obstacle to uh, racial justice in this city, and there are many, but this is one of them, uh, this is where they are, the, the Police Benevolent Association. And what would you say to people who say, well, you know, cops are workers, too, and they have bosses, so why shouldn't they have a union? Well, you know, the military doesn't have a union, John. You know, uh, the, the cop's job is to protect citizens. Uh, what happens when the cops go on strike? They can't go on strike. The tools of a union don't really exist for them. 
Um, and I think we can all agree at this point that the question is not that they shouldn't have a union. It's that they shouldn't have this union. <laughs> I mean, uh, if you, if you want to start over, okay, let's start over, but let's not base it on the fraternal order of police, which is what it was built on, which was a, you know, a secretive, uh, not transparent, not accountable body, a fraternal order. We know what that leads to, violence, right? So, right. I mean, I'm not saying they shouldn't have a union, but this union, is not a union. This union is a, you know, not much more than an organized crime unit at this point. Like, as far as I can tell, all they do is protect dirty cops, and all they do is oppose justice, and all they do is call people like Eric Garner names and say that he was not murdered when we all saw it on video. Right. You can see why they have uh, such a fondness for for Donald Trump. Uh, So, um and you all did another protest uh, a, a couple of months ago. You went uh, straight to the home of uh, Patrick Lynch, who's the uh, longtime president of uh, PBA. Sure, Patrick Lynch was uh, appointed, I think, by by during the Giuliani years by Giuliani, though he later came out against Giuliani. I mean, Patrick Lynch eventually turns against everybody. He doesn't like anybody on earth, as far as I can tell. Um, he does have have a, a home, and he lives in Queens, and. An autonomous group of uh, activists went out there to pay a visit to him, again, calling him out for his endorsement of Donald Trump, among many other things that he has done that uh, seem to us, you know, incredibly um, not just insensitive, but but violent, um, dangerous, uh, criminal. And, um, you know, again, Patrick Lynch is a, is a terrifying man with a lot of power. You know, it's, it's very difficult for community groups, grassroots organizers um, to come out against him because the, the NYPD and the PBA specifically are known to target activists. So it's, it's, a, it's a difficult road and one that individuals really have to pick up and carry because uh, organizations, you know, eventually <laughs> feel the sting of the PBA, you know. So, uh, sure, we went to his home in Queens to call him out. Uh, you know, of course, we were greeted there by... Mm, you know, at least 100 cops and about 25 men in suits, you know, the top uh, legal representatives and brass and scary dudes of the PBA, some of them even smoking cigars. I mean, it was like a comedy routine, really, standing in front of his, you know, modest home there in Queens. And, you know, what can I say? The time right. has and, and come. I guess, uh, my, my last question before we, we have to go here in a minute is, uh, where do you all want to go next with this campaign and uh, – what do you all uh, hope to achieve over time in addition to, you know, identifying the PBA more closely with Donald Trump? I mean, the, the, the abolition movement in New York City is strong and powerful, and there are hundreds of people more qualified to talk about it than me. What I know about is opening up public space. Uh, you know, what I know about is creating uh, stages and places for protest. And 125 Broad Street and the public spaces surrounding it should become a place where we protest the NYPD, should become a place where we target the PBA, where we call them out. So they're just malevolent and, and sickening uh, white supremacy. All righty. We'll have to leave it there. Uh, Savitri D from the Church of Stop Shopping, thank you for joining us, and uh, thank you for opening Glad up John. that uh, public space on Tuesday. Yeah. Stay safe. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. We'll be back with uh, with our second segment after this short break. There's already so much pain, so much pain, so much pain. 
There's already too much pain and there ain't nothing else we can do. Hey, she Coming through right here, through right here, through right here. We got tanks coming through right here, and there ain't nothing else we can do. All together, we got tanks coming through right here. That was more from Fight by Wyatt Waddell. You are listening to the WBAI Evening News, hosted by The Independent, New York City's progressive newspaper and website, now in its 20th year of publishing. I'm John Tarleton, the editor's Indian editor, Indies editor-in-chief, filling in this evening for Paul DiRienzo. And you can find our latest coverage at independent.org. And in a moment, we'll talk about uh, one of our latest stories up on independent.org. But first, before we continue on with our second segment, I want to encourage everyone who can do so to give generously to WBAI and help keep shows like this on the air. You can give by calling 516-620-3602 or going straight to give number 2 wbaiorg Again, that phone number is 516-620-3602. You can make a one-time donation or, better yet, sign up as a WBAI buddy for $10 per month or more and help keep WBAI and shows like this on the air. We'll give that number out again at the end of the show. Now, in our second second segment, we look at the growing controversy in Brooklyn around a massive rezoning proposal the city is pushing for Gowanus. In his latest article for The Independent, uh, titled Showdown at Gowanus Canal, Jordan Teicher says that what starts in Gowanus doesn't stay in Gowanus, as this rezoning battle will resonate uh, across other neighborhoods in the city that are also at risk of being uh, uh, rezoned and hit with massive out-of-scale new developments. Jordan, thanks for joining us on the show tonight. Thanks for having me. You bet. So, uh, first of all, can you just uh, quickly uh, sort of set the scene in, in Gowanus and, and why this uh, rezoning is uh, sparking a lot of controversy? I understand it would be the largest rezoning in um, Bill de Blasio's uh, two terms as mayor. Yeah, it would be. And just for a little bit of background here, the city has been looking to rezone Gowanus for a while now, uh, more than a decade actually. Uh, the last plan to rezone the neighborhood was scrapped uh, back in 2010, and the city just released its new plan last January, and it's been contentious ever since. Um, it is based on findings from the Bridging Gowanus Community Engagement Process, which Councilman Bradlander conducted uh, between 2013 and 2015, but a lot of people are still not happy with it, and even Lander said that his support for the rezoning is conditional, even though he was urging the city to resume the ULERP process, which is the public review process. Um, and now that it's, it's done so, the city says that uh, it will, it will um, be informing the public up until January when the, the official process is set to begin. Um, but yeah, this is, a, this is a very contentious issue. A lot of opponents and a lot of people who do support rezoning uh, who have a lot of concerns about the plan as they see it. And who are 
some of the groups that are leading the charge against this rezoning, and, and what do they want? Yeah, so there's two kind of camps as I see it. One of them is um, those who are opposed to rezoning altogether, um, and the folks in that camp are uh, groups like Voice of Gowanus, which is a coalition of, of uh, local groups. And then there's the uh, Gowanus Neighborhood Coalition for Justice, which is a group of uh, environmentalists and uh, public housing residents um, led by the Fifth Avenue Committee, which happens to also be the nonprofit co-developer of Gowanus Green, which is one of the largest um, developments uh, proposed for this rezoning, um, which is also uh, quite contentious. Right, and Brad Lander himself was uh, the director of the Fifth Avenue Committee before he ascended city council, correct? That's right, and the Gowanus Neighborhood Coalition for Justice uh, says that they're not opposed to rezoning on principle. They just want to make sure that the rezoning that happens is equitable and serves the community, and they have a a lot of demands of the city, um, but right now almost none of them have been met. Right, and also... uh, there's a, a number of uh, uh, NYCHA developments uh, n- uh, near either in or near Gowanus, and are, are they being included in this uh, conversation? Yeah, that's that's the main one of the biggest sticking points in this debate is uh, funding for those developments. Um, even Brad Lander himself says that it would be a, a moral failing essentially if this rezoning goes through without any funding being set aside for these uh, NYCHA developments. And so far, uh, the city has not promised any funding for them. Right. And just, um, I mean, in terms of the scale of this uh, redevelopment, I, I understand it's something like 8,000 uh, units of housing would be built and, and, and maybe like 20,000 uh, new people would come into the neighborhood. So you would think with that scale of uh, a project, they could, uh, you know, steer some resources to NYCHA as well. Certainly a lot of activists would, would agree with you. Right. And um, real quick, because we just have about one more minute here. Why does this have uh, bigger ramifications for the rest of the city? Yeah, well, a lot of the folks who oppose this rezoning uh, fundamentally question rezoning as a tool for community development. They say that private real estate development shouldn't be the factor that that changes the way our our neighborhoods are constructed. And um, you could look at this Gowanus uh, rezoning battle as uh, an extension of the, the battle that just happened in Sunset Park around the Industry City rezoning. Uh, that plan was withdrawn. And I know that a lot of uh, folks who are looking at this uh, this struggle in, in Gowanus from the outside see it as part of a, a movement, you know, demanding community control over rezoning and a sort of break uh, of uh, community improvement from the real estate industry, which has really run the show in New York for quite a long time. Indeed. Well, we'll have to leave it there. Uh, Jordan Teicher, thanks you, thank you for joining us this evening on the WBAI Evening News. Thanks, John. You bet. Well, that just about wraps it up. Special thanks to the Indies Amba Gergarian, Renee Feltz, and Leah Duran for their help with tonight's show. And once again, you can give by to WBAI by calling 516-620-3602. That's 516-620-3602. Sign up as a WBAI buddy for $10 a month or more and help keep shows like this on the air. Thanks for joining us. And a reminder, I'll be back at a new time next Tuesday from 5 to 6 p.m. hosting the Independent News Hour. So much pain, so much pain.
there's already so much pain and there ain't nothing else we can do. Let's go. 